Hi, folks. Before we begin, I just wanted to explain why Issa's not on this particular episode. Uh, she was sick. Nothing more exciting than that. Uh, it sounds more dramatic in the beginning because I was very nervous about having Zandi Schieffer on my computer screen. Uh, but I promise I chill out. Just stick with me for a few minutes. Okay, enjoy. I put you in my pocket. Push the button through the hole to lock it. Hold on to you, you like a treasure. Walk across my hand, it'd be a pleasure. You could come with me. You could come with me. Hello and welcome to Delicious of History, uh, the podcast about interesting people you probably didn't learn about in school. My name is Fega, and I am your slightly annoyed history person. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, Issa's not here, but we have a guest today. Hello. Zandy. Hi. My name's Zandy, and I, uh, I'm so excited to be here. I, uh, I heard we're talking something Lighthouse related, so yes. I was just pumped, <laughs> pumped to get here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited. So I, I wrote I wrote like a an adaptation intro from what you wrote on your website. Uh, I don't know if you remember what you wrote on your website. Uh, I, I, you know, whenever I'm reminded, <laughs> I'm like, wait, I wrote that. <laughs> uh, so our guest today is Zandy Schieffer. Zandy is a podcaster and Twitch streamer, hosting the podcast "He Beats You, Sandy Water Too Wet." with his sister and doing whatever one does on Twitch. I don't watch Twitch. Uh, <laughs> uh, his web his website suggests that involves hedgehog facts. So mm, yes. I might be missing out on something. <laughs> um, and you're a lighthouse enthusiast, which is why I invited you. Because I, well, now I know more about lighthouses. But when I started this, I didn't know very much about lighthouses. <laughs> Honestly, before I was an enthusiast, which started not too long ago, I knew nothing about lighthouses. And <laughs> that was kind of the fun of it, you know, just a, a oh, thing yeah. that you know of. And then you realize there's a deeper history there. So, yeah. yeah, I did. a So we're doing Augustine Fresnel. Mm -hmm. um, and I quickly Googled and was like, I wonder if there's any Fresnel lenses near me that I could go see. And like I have time. It's the end of July. I'm in tourism. Like <laughs> it's not happening. Um, but I realized I had seen one of these. I had seen like the first one in the United States years mm -hmm. ago on tour. And I didn't know what I was looking at. I was on like the worst tour of my life with these like French kids. And for some reason, like it was, it was the, the company had sent us to, um, well, they sent us Red Bank. That's not what you Sandy Hook. Uh, but like the beach was closed for the season. So it was like, Why we toured there? the light. What right. So, <laughs> and they were like, just have, she was like, just have them play like soccer on the beach. I'm like, <laughs> could do so many other things uh, we were right next to new york uh but we went and looked at the lighthouse because that was the only thing there was to do and i was like oh this is mildly interesting and now it just sort of reminded me that i had seen this so i guess i have seen one so i didn't realize when i started researching this i thought it would be sort of interesting scientifically uh mm -hmm. i didn't realize how much drama would I, be involved i'm i'm gonna be honest i don't know any of the drama there is so much drama and and i i know you know i i saw the subject of today and I purposefully kept myself in the dark. I saw that there was a mention of drama and I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to find out 
and I really want to look up stuff, but I'm like, I'd rather like learn it from you and kind of experience it for the first time here. So, uh, so I might not be too helpful knowledge wise about that, but I mean, I'm excited to learn. Yeah, absolutely. So he's from France. So I'm going to try my best <laughs> with all of this. I have, um, a confession of sorts. Uh, my first ever lighthouse related content I posted on the internet I, I didn't realize it was named after a person. I, I was like, oh, this lens. Okay. And I think I said Fresnel or something. Oh, yeah. No, I did that on, on a TikTok. Yeah, exactly. I was, mine was <laughs> on a TikTok. And the first comment I get is I pronounced it wrong. And I I remember that sitting with me for probably months where I just kept being reminded of the fact. I'm like, oh, oh, no, I can't believe I did that, <laughs> which, is kind of, which is silly. But um, yeah, so I've I've learned that lesson at least. I've only found out because my uh, very dear friend who's actually um, Issa's partner is a theater guy. So he was like, it, it's, it's for now. Yeah. Like, yeah oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> French people. Okay. So he was born in Normandy uh, on the 10th of May in 1788. And he was the second of four sons of the architect Jacques Fresnel and Augustine Merami. He was homeschooled for a long time by his mom and she thought that he was not academically gifted, I think would be the polite way to put it. There's a perhaps apocryphal story that he wasn't able to read until the age of eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but the kids in the town, they thought he was a genius because he was the one who could figure out like how to make bows and arrows out of like just sticks around and like he would set up battlements for their war games and Ooh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely a visual learner. Uh, but his okay, so his family were part of a heretical Roman Catholic sect called the Janus, and I think that's how you say it. Usually, I do quite a bit of research on these weird heretical sects that come up every once in a while, uh, and I didn't this time. I just looked at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> so, if uh, anybody's listening and they know more than me, feel free to let me know. Oh, uh, but they basically they're kind of Calvinists, like they look to God's grace being the most important thing over free will, which was very much in opposition to Catholic doctrine at the time, especially because they were like in competition with Calvinism and Lutheranism that very much put that very much put that to the fore. So the Catholics were like really going hard on the like, no free will. We got free will, man. Uh, my, meanwhile, the Janus are over here saying only a certain number of people can get into heaven. So, Sorry. Um, <laughs> Strict club up there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what he grew up in. But he gets to, to leave town. 1801, his older brother, Louis, is accepted to, this is this is where it starts, the Ecole Centrale at Cain. Beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me. Should you I ask me? Probably German, not. But. I took German where you pronounce all the letters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> French is like, just pronounce like a third of them. Um, <laughs> uh, so his brother was accepted to this school and Louis and uh, Augustine was sent along as like a buddy. Mm. Like he wasn't actually like sent because they thought he would do well at the school. They were just like, just keep your brother company. It's like daycare, you know, it's like kind of like, no, Basically. Just, like get, just get out of here. Yeah. It's like, stop playing war games in yeah. the backyard, please. <laughs> uh, but then he went and he thrived Ooh. academically. 
And he ended up graduating, I think, 17th in his class or something. And he was accepted to the prestigious Ecole Polytech in 1804. Which, like, what a three years. Yeah. Like, you go from your mom being like, you're kind of stupid. Like- you need a, <laughs> a change of scenery, you know? Just a nice, a nice new spot. And then you can flourish. <laughs> yeah, and he was always kind of like a sickly kid, apparently. Uh, this is going to follow him. He was kind of, like, small and... It's that sort of like that Victorian ideal of like the tortured artist who's also like very pale and thin and has tuberculosis. Um. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I have a perfect image. Yes, yep, makes sense. <laughs> they were really into like, the tuberculosis look. Like people would put on makeup. Jesus. To look like they had tuberculosis. Wow. It was. Humans are weird. <laughs> Humans like, are weird. I, I like. I. I don't. I, Wow, like just just that was the style of the time. Okay. Yeah, like huh. sickly, pale. So he graduated from the Ecole Polytechnique, Polytechnique in 1806 and then went on to attend the I'm just going to say it's in English, National School of Bridges and Roads. Oh, that is specific. I like it. I know, right? I, I feel that's something that I feel like we're missing so much of, at least in the United States. I'm like, oh, like the, yeah. tr- the trades and things like that. Like that is so niche, but so important and useful. Uh, wow. Also here in Philly, I'm feeling bridges and roads because <laughs> uh, actually just before you came on, my wife and I were talking about how yet another piece of our infrastructure has caught on fire and collapsed. Um, not quite as bad as I-95. I didn't hear about that until after our Philly show that we just had. We I, well, it's a bridge that no one cares about it. Oh, is that why? Okay, because yeah, I, I up in the Northeast, no one cares. I got to <laughs> DC, and a friend of mine was like, "Oh, did you cross over that new bridge?" And I was like, "What bridge? I don't know anything." And I looked it up, and I was like, "It was a month ago that a bridge collapsed, and that was crazy." Oh, this is a different bridge. I, oh, but. <laughs> So my favorite part, I was at the Philly show, and my favorite part of the Philly show was the look of just complete <laughs> disbelief that you and your sister had when everybody started cheering about potholes. I, I, I have been talking <laughs> about this since the show because I, and the Philly crowd especially, was just so hyped about every little thing, and it made it so much fun and so special. And that potholes moment, like, I've, I've told pretty much everyone, everyone's like, oh, how was Philly? I was like man, let me tell you this one moment. And I tell talk about how I just said, man, the potholes there. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm like freaking out. Like they're so excited. <laughs> so, hey, you gotta, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I respect it. You know, you gotta be able to <laughs> recognize the flaws in your own city. And, yeah. and roads are them. I mean, so we had I-95 collapse a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Taconi Palmyra bridge caught on fire like two days ago. Jesus. And, <laughs> And uh, one, a mile north of where I'm sitting, there is a sinkhole that nobody cares about. Like in the Inquirer article, the, the neighbors were like, yeah, we reported that to the streets department like a month ago and nobody's come out. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> um, we, we had all these creeks. And when when the like when William Penn and all them like laid down the grid system, they didn't take into account the actual like land uh-huh. it was going to be on. And they decided that instead of having streets that aren't straight, we should bury creeks underground. And they did it with wood pipes. Oh. Which was the best way to do it at the time. And yeah. It's been a, it's been a few years. Since Just a that few. <laughs> I assume. 
<laughs> so that's Philly. I like to say on on my if my if my bus like hits something when I like I'm on double decker buses sometimes. And so when you hit something, it's like you really like kind of go. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh, my favorite thing to say when that happens is, you know, in London, they drive on the left. Here in Philly, we drive on the road that's left. And I laugh and <laughs> the driver laughs and everybody else stares at me. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love that. I mean, I hate that for you, like, uh, especially up there. I mean, my gosh. Like, it's I, part I'd, of the vibe now. I'd be afraid of like <laughs> flying off the side. <laughs> I don't think that's how physics works necessarily, but in my head, that's how it does. <laughs> you know, uh, our drivers are pretty good at not hitting that pothole. It's just good. we have new people. They don't yeah. know about it. Um, <laughs> and it's like, whoa. <laughs> so Augustine, he goes to learn about bridges and roads. We should hire him. Uh, he goes on to be employed with the core of bridges and roads. Mm-hmm. Very, it makes sense. Very structured, you know. <laughs> I have a theory um, because this book, I was so annoyed that they wrote everything in French. And I feel like usually when I'm reading about, like I did an episode on, on Minocchio, who's Italian. And I feel like most things that weren't like proper nouns that weren't like the name of a town, they translated into English for the English translation. But this book was like, no, here's all the French. And I think it's maybe because the names of these things are so utilitarian mm-hmm. so like in french it sounds like oh the école nationale de pont de chose or whatever <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know if that's what the author is trying to get at like french is fancy uh so he got he was given a job connecting a new town slash military base to a town that was a real town that was this napoleon was in power at this time and he was born one year before the French Revolution. Wow. So his whole, like politically, yeah. his whole life was just chaos. So Napoleon decided to found a town in this area that had tried to rebel. And Napoleon, being Napoleon, named the town Napoleon sur Yon. Yon is the name of the river. So that's Napoleon. <laughs> uh, and Augustine hated his job with a passion. He wrote this quote that in a letter home that I as as someone who has to manage other people I feel in my soul he said I find nothing more tiresome than having to manage other men and I admit that I have no idea what I'm doing oh boy yeah (laughs) jeez I yeah I'm I I, managing I I recently had a, a long discussion about this with my um my girlfriend who is in a more corporate <laughs> career than me as a podcaster. Um, and yeah, the idea of managing other people. And I, I just, I can't, I, I don't know. I can't imagine. And then also when it comes to like bridges and I don't know, this, this poor guy goes from like not being an academic, then suddenly he's in bridges and roads and like, yeah, doing well. But then he's like working here. I don't know. It does not sound and he's like telling people dream. to like, they're like going around and finding like rocks that are the right size. <laughs> so like, it sounds like really tough work. <laughs> yeah. I, I know like sometimes I have to go be the mean one and it's not, no one wants to be the mean one. Yeah. I mean, some people do, but there shouldn't be. In charge of anything. <laughs> uh, it just stinks to go up, see two people having fun and be like, Hey, so we do need to start the tour. 
not my favorite. Uh, but he found consolation uh, in his terrible Bridges and Roads job in doing scientific experiments. So he created a improved design for a hydraulic ram and a cheaper way to make soda ash. Dang. Like I just know, on right? the side is us doing this stuff? Okay. Right. Like when I'm relaxing, I'm like playing <laughs> Animal Crossing. <laughs> I realized they didn't have Animal Crossing. Oh, they did. However. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it makes me wonder if I didn't have all of the distractions I have, which are also just video games, really. Would I actually be more productive or would I just be a miserable mess? I don't know. I know I wouldn't because <laughs> I went through lockdown. <laughs> okay. And I mostly just stare at a wall. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was like, there's not a lot of tourism happening during the mm -hmm, no. pandemic. It's actually when I first learned about lighthouses. I did some content writing for like five minutes um, for my unemployment oh. women. I did travel writing about places I'd never been, <laughs> which was weird. <laughs> yeah, so he did all this stuff and nobody cared. He like wrote papers and sent the information to relevant people and nobody paid any attention to it. So he moved on to being interested in the nature of light. Mm. And I hadn't known this because I'm not a science historian. But even this late, they still didn't understand that light was in waves. Wow. Yeah, yes. I mean, I still don't under. I mean, I, I know. I, mean, I don't understand. But I don't understand either. <laughs> <laughs> I've got <Yeah>. some. <laughs> like, I don't know how it works, I, but I, I know I know it's a wave. <laughs> I Whatever that means. Just, I just take that for granted. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, okay, interesting. Wow. This was a Newtonian thing that Newton, uh, though right about many things, was not right about light. He thought that it was made of tiny weightless particles. Hmm. And there were apparently a lot of issues with that theory because it was wrong around light diffraction. <laughs> And I, I wrote, I don't think I actually want to read this. I wrote down like, it's at the bottom of page 29 because I think I was like, this is complicated. I can't read. Uh, let's see here. Oh, by the strange trick of light, a shadow produced by a knife, razor, or other thin edge was inexplicably fringed with bands of light and darkness alternating in patterns that varied with the object. So this is, this is the stuff the Fresnel was like, I hate my job. <laughs> so I'm going to figure out why a reflection of a knife is weird. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I'm reading this and it's it's like it's presented in the book like, you know, like we all know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I have never looked that closely at a shadow in my life. <laughs> yeah, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There was more. The, I, I just read the first sentence. Oh, oh gosh, I bet. <laughs> There's a whole section of this book that is just. I read it. It's gone. The, okay, it's I'm just impressed science. you read it and made it through. <laughs> like I've looked at the the Fresnel lens Wikipedia page. Oh, that's that that thing is. And to me, it's all the math. Yeah, all the no, math. I'm like, this is no, where the pretty lighthouse is. What 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 is? <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> I was like, this is not what I'm, I'm not here for calculus. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, literal calculus on it. It's so it's so wild. <laughs> so that's a uh, that was what he was doing, and he solved the issue with light with diffraction of light by 
having it be a wave instead of particles, oh. which is true. And he wrote up his, this is, I love this. He wrote up his findings in an essay called Daydreams. Whoa. That's like, that's, that's, that's a pretty cool move to play. You're like, yeah, these are just some of my daydreams, <laughs> like light being waves and you being actually right about it. Like just a, just a daydream I had. Oh my God. Yeah. Especially cause this made people super mad. <laughs> I love that. So he gave, he gave his paper to his uncle who passed it along to a guy named Andre Marie Ampere. Empire. He's the guy who did like amps. Oh, I think diff. somebody's going to correct me. That's probably wrong. He's another science guy. This is this whole book is they're like, oh, we talked to this random person whose name is like a thing. That's just an object now. Um, <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, it's like I would. I didn't even know that was there was a person behind that. Apparently, the French were like super on this like physics thing well. <laughs> on the early 19th century. I had no idea. Yeah. I just assumed they were like drinking wine and being <laughs> upset with the english um <laughs> and also this is during a time of political upheaval like oh my goodness yeah. was in the water um but yeah so so his uncle gives it to to this guy who then loses it lose with with like air quote quotes around it mm -hmm. so hmm. he didn't really lose it <laughs> i mean he might have i don't know <laughs> i wasn't there but by luck, his uncle sat next to a different physicist who is the coolest, like, this man. His name is Francois Arago. Uh, they were at a fancy dinner. And Arago was one year ahead of Fresnel at the Ecole Polytechnique. But he had, was more successful in networking with elite scientists. Fresnel was, like, super shy and didn't really talk to anybody. He didn't have friends. It was really sad, actually. And uh, that's not who Arago was. He was very, like, people loved him. And he had gotten a job with the Bureau of Longitudes, okay. which, and he was, his job was to extend the measurement of the meridian. So I, I'm assuming this is the prime meridian since it's about the right place. It says, I, I know you can go places and they, they'll have, like, a line in the dirt. Yeah. Be like, yep, there it is. Uh, so that was his job. Interesting. Okay, yeah, stuff that was a job back then. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, know, right? I was for for our DC shows. Um, my girlfriend, she D, she had brought up uh, these cornerstones that exist yes. and that still exist. And I was like, this is something that, of course, back then, you know, you <laughs> they don't have satellites to tell you where the the boundaries are. But yeah, this was a thing that they had to measure out and place these stones to set the the boundaries of the District of Columbia. And um, yeah, it's the stuff like that that I, I take so much for granted now. You know, I'm sure we all do. But uh, oh, just these, sure. these things that I'm like, wow, someone had to do that back then. Yeah, I used to work in D.C. I remember those. We have some like them, too, on um, there's a road called Lancaster Ave. And every like mile or two, there's a there's a a rock that somebody a few of them people have put little like protector things around mm -hmm. it yeah oh, it's a rock um but Arago <laughs> was awesome uh not for his science although his science was good but for a wild story that i'm just gonna read straight from the book because there was no doing it justice this is a true story of a thing that actually happened when i read it in the book i actually dog-eared it because i was wanted to make sure when i did my notes i didn't forget to include this so he's off out uh, extending the measurement of the prime meridian and he's in Spain 
and Spain and France, I guess, are at war or something. So they how they would do it is is there'd be two guys. One guy would be like on one hill, and the other guy would be on the other hill, and they like flashlights at each other, and somehow that tells them <laughs> where things are. <laughs> and so trying to find the beginning of this wacky story. Uh, say, okay, right. So uh, his buddy went home. And Erica wanted to stay for a few final tests. So while that happened, Napoleon's forces invaded Spain. And the Spanish decided that the lights that Erico, er, yeah, Erico were flashing were, like, suspicious. Uh-oh. And so they threw him in jail. He escaped twice, only to have the ship he was captured, he w- the ship he was on captured by pirates as it approached the French coast. He ended up in North Africa where he walked through the desert disguised as an Arab and became a slave of the Dey de Algiers. What? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and at, by this point, the Bureau of the, Long- the Longitudes, whatever the Longitude people are like, this guy's dead. Like, we don't know where he is. He's dead. And uh, I, I is- don't think this was on their list of possibilities of where <laughs> right. he might be. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like 1790-something, dude's dead. Yeah. Um, or, or 1808, whatever. But then he 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 comes back. After a year, he shows up in France. Oh. 1809. Like, I'm back and I've got quite the tale to tell. <laughs> so everybody was really excited about him being back in his, as it says here, harrowing tales of intrigue and danger. I mean, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. So because of his fame, he was actually put on the Academy De science sciences i assume it's the academy of sciences much earlier like usually that's something that would happen later in your career but there was a an opening and people were like we should get the guy who was a slave to somebody in algiers and walk through a <laughs> desert by himself <laughs> he's, he's lived a full life already let's let's let him do this <laughs> so he's there so he's this young guy who clearly is like probably fun at a party And he is here for causing some science drama. (laughs) So he's absolutely on top of like, yes, I will. I will read this daydream essay and we're going to do it. So there was another guy on the on the academy called Pierre Simon Laplace. And his official biographer wrote about him. This is a quote. Not a single testimonial bespeaking congeniality survives. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. So a delight. Yes. Not fun to have (laughs) a party. Not fun, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But he was also the most powerful man in French science at the time. He was closely tied with Napoleon. And he was a big proponent of Newtonian physics, including particle light theory. And Arago did not like Mm. Laplace. First of all, because he sounds like he was a jerk. But I love the reason why Arago didn't like him initially. So he was, Arago was invited to Laplace's house just because, I don't know, fancy people in France invited each other to each other's houses for things. Yeah. And it's just, it was a time. And so he goes and he's like a little, as I understand it, he was a little bit um, like excited to meet this famous scientist. And he's so disappointed because he overheard Laplace's wife asking for the key to access the sugar. And Arago was like, you're keeping the sugar locked up from your wife. What is wrong with you? (laughs) And from that moment on, he was like, I'm done with you. I hate you. I'm going to take you down. Wow. (laughs) 
I don't like, know what that means, but I mean, <laughs> I, I nowadays if someone did that, I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty. Like, don't you walk, can curse it's me. <laughs> That's pretty fucked up. Don't hide like sugar from your partner. What do you do? But it um, was the same. It was just I, that I'm kind of like okay. it's, it's the same, especially for sugar because that was like women's work. So, oh. so like it, I don't know about in France, but in the United States, generally the 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 cookings things but also not just like where they are but like what we need to buy more like the inventory Mm -hmm. of the cooking things would have absolutely been the purview of of the wife so he's just being overbearing Mm. and arago was not not here for it arago does not like him and laplace does not like him because he's young and whatever so he tries to prevent Arago's placement on the Academy of Sciences. And so this just, Arago is just like, I was done with you before and then you tried to keep me from getting this job. So we're, we're like double done. <laughs> uh, when, so, so when the uh, Fresnel's uncle told Arago about the wave light theory, he was like, let's go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know someone so, who will hate this, so I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was he was probably he was one of those people that i think that we'd find who like goes to reddit just to argue with people yeah oh god <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind of person no. and and like they're right yeah. so <laughs> you just get <laughs> can't fight you're like you're uh, yeah. right but you're a jerk <laughs> you're so annoying about it <laughs> <laughs> so french politics have got a lot going on too like actual politics so he was born in the early days of the French Revolution and lived most of his adulthood under Napoleonic rule. In 1814, Napoleon fell from power and was replaced by Louis the, I have to count my Roman numerals, uh, five, six, seven, eight, 18th, Louis the 18th. But in 1815, eight, one, eight, one, five, Napoleon escaped from the Isle of Elba, intending to retake power, which he did. And as we know, did not go well in the long run. And so Napoleon had started in the south and was marching north, I guess. And Fresnel, like, left his post building roads or whatever it was he was doing to go fight with the king's forces. Oh, well. And so when the king's forces did not win, he was not treated particularly well. (laughs) And he was suspended and sent home, which was honestly great for him because he hated his job. So now he could just be at home and study optics so he was pretty science happy. experiments heck yeah the dream yeah. <laughs> so waterloo happens napoleon's done king's back in charge and now fresnel is a hero nice. and he gets his job back and his boss bless him uh apparently like the the bureaucracy was going to put fresnel back where he was and the boss was like hey so those people hate him because he was loyal to the king so maybe it wouldn't be like a reward to send him back there it'll be a little awkward you know <laughs> yeah well for now doesn't want to go back to work he asked for a leave of absence because of his poor health and continues doing his science experiments so he's experimenting with light waves and he wrote a paper and sent it to the academy and helpfully uh Arago was selected to be the one to review the paper Fresnel thought he was on the verge of a great discovery, so he didn't want to leave his work. So he asked his supervisor for more leave. <laughs> and this is this is so great. So a supervisor was, it does sound like, wasn't really that excited to have Fresnel take more leave. You know, it's like we hired you to 
go roads, uh, not play with lights. And so Arago showed the paper to some other guy uh, named Gaspard de Pronay, who is the director of Fresnel's engineering school, who then wrote to the core of Roads and Bridges and said to them that letting Fresnel do continue his work uh, will, quote, be, will be profitable both to the progress of science and the glory of the core of Roads and Bridges. Ooh. And I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but I, I don't think that guy was wrong. <laughs> no, right? no, but I just love the glory Gosh. of roads and bridges. Hell yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I've, I'm only hearing about that roads and bridges thing now, like that whole element of this. But yeah, glory to them for this guy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually made him come back and Fresnel hated it. Oh. In 1817, he got another leave of absence. This was the part of the book where they're like, and then he shined a light through a slit. And I was like, we're not, we're not doing this. <laughs> if I even try to explain this, it's going to be wrong. <laughs> He's doing stuff. It involves shining lights, places, and measuring things. In 1817, he got another leave of absence, which he used then to win the Academy's grand prize in its annual competition. So this is like a really big deal, especially yeah. because the the topic of the competition was diffraction, which was this thing that that was apparently this big mystery in the science community at the time that caused issues in the theory around particle theory. Mm. And the way the prompt was worded clearly was favoring particle theory. Like the mm -hmm. way it was worded, it was like, we're expecting a bunch of papers about particle theory. And he was the only one that sent something supporting wave theory. So it's impressive that he won. And because supporters of particle theory like went hard trying to disprove his research. Wow. Like to the extent where they were like, what abouting it basically? Like, yeah. well, what if you shine a light through a a bullseye prism? And <laughs> <laughs> uh so luckily, I believe it was Arago, someone on someone else on the academy was like, let's just do it. And they set it up and and Fresnel was right. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> That's the good thing. He had, I don't know, accuracy on his side, like no matter what. Yeah. They're like, yeah, well, Helps. at the end of Although the day. who knows? Listen, we're living through through a time of <laughs> truth is not always the fact. It's true. I don't know. <laughs> I, as if I know anything about light, you know, let alone about, I don't know, anything science related and what's actually right. What's I love about doing this is like I'll get halfway through my research. I'm like, you idiots! It's wave theory. <laughs> like I know. And <laughs> it's then, like when you watch Great British Bake Off. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't put the frosting in the fridge. What are you thinking? Like, who does that? Like, I've never used frosting, but I would never do that if I had. <laughs> so he he wins the prize, which is like a huge huge deal. Uh, in theory, it means he shouldn't have to go back to doing bridges and roads. Which uh -oh. is not what happened, but uh, for a little while, he escaped his bridges and roads. So this is where we're going to pause, because this is where Fresnel is going to make his big, you know, contribution to the world. Uh, to 1811, because there, Napoleon, we tend to hear bad things about Napoleon because he lost. And I'll be honest, I don't know very much about Napoleon. I know he wasn't actually that short. That yeah, I was about to say that's the only thing I know is that it turns out he's not that short, and that was just a whole thing to you know. That was like English propaganda. Yeah. Um, 
which made me really sad because I'm five foot two. And as a, a young person in high school, I used to say I was going to, you know, take over the world like Napoleon because <laughs> we were both short. So that clearly that's how it turns that out. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> okay, I don't want responsibility for the world. I have enough. I have enough issues. <laughs> got enough stuff I'm responsible for. I don't need to add to it. Uh, so 1811, Napoleon understands the importance of engineering in the matters of lighthouses, which seems obvious today, but was not obvious mm-hmm. to a lot of people. And so he took the lighthouse responsibilities away from the Navy and gave it to a new commission of lighthouses, which was made up of like engineers and scientists and things like that. Unfortunately, they didn't actually start working until after Napoleon was deposed, but they did eventually you know, get together and do their job. And the the big issue was that providing enough light for a lighthouse to be effective in that time was a huge unsolved problem. So the flames required to be able to be seen from sea required massive size and or resources. Mm-hmm. Before lighthouses, I guess they would just like light very big bonfires. Mm. Just, just keep throwing wood on it. And so once <laughs> they had the smokeless lamps, it helped somewhat. But they still had to figure out, like, how do you make this bright enough that people can see it? And it, so that was 1780. They developed the smokeless lamp. And somebody figured out, well, if we put a mirror behind it, it helps at least, like, direct the light in one direction. And somebody else who clearly understands math said, oh, but it's more efficient if we make it a parabola. So they, make, they made these parabolic reflectors. And it, it was better than what they had before, but they still lost a lot of light in the reflection process, which was another thing. I had no idea. Apparently, you lose light you when it hits a mirror. You lose light. Yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they would just like stack up like 15 reflectors and just like, I've actually, when I saw pictures, I think I've seen pictures of these before where it's just this huge thing that's just like spinning around. So that the parabolic reflector was the best people had. And Arago and some of, was also on the committee because he does everything. And he personally knew how hard it was to see the light from the parabolic reflectors because he used them when he was like doing all that light flashing stuff when he was measuring the meridian. So he knew personally that this was terrible and it sucked. And he was, you know, standing on dry land looking for it, not on some boat mm-hmm. hoping you don't run aground. So I wrote, they brought together a crack team to develop a better solution, <laughs> which include Fresnel, hey. because Arago's like, hey, I know I have just the guy. And <laughs> Fresnel was like, no, very happy to leave his road oh, duty. Yeah, a, come on, get him out of there for good. Please, somebody. <laughs> I know, right? This like, why are we guy. still sending him out there? Yeah. <laughs> and I have this, this might not be accurate, but this mental image of him living in like a tent. I, I'm sure that's not accurate, but it just seems like someplace that doesn't have roads might mm-hmm. not be fully built up yet. <laughs> just, it sounds terrible. So Fresnel realized that there was no way to do the reflectors in a way to do, to create enough light to be seen well from shore. And he but he had to like prove that he can just be like, I know this sucks. So he figured out a way to test different types of reflectors. And he ended up having to do a lot of the grunt work because he was an engineer. And I guess a lot of these other guys were theory guys. Mm-hmm. So they're like, I don't know, just put it up there. And he's like, okay, but you actually have to like align it. And like <laughs> make sure it's tightened down. <laughs> so he was doing all that. So he knew how finicky they were 
as a result of like what the lighthouse keepers were dealing with with these reflectors. And so they, you know, they tested them and they're like, yep, this sucks. And he thought a better solution would be a lens. But the mathematically, the, t- the size of lens you would need, the size and thickness would be astronomical mm-hmm. and wouldn't fit in a building. And so he tried to all these little tricks to get around it. My personal favorite was he put two convex pieces of glass together and filled it with wine. Oh, I don't know why. Yeah, I, was, I, I don't know what wine does to light, but uh, <laughs> I, I love that he tried it. I, I hope he drank half the bottle and was like, OK, now let, I've got an idea. <laughs> well, this is I think this is still before germ theory. So probably they were like, well, that didn't work. Let's go. <laughs> Let's have a good night. Because yeah. <laughs> they didn't know that was super gross. Yeah. Um, it's alcohol. It probably <laughs> fine. So he figured out a way to get past it and let's see i usually don't have quite so many things in the books because i have a habit of forgetting to bring them over fresnel then thought of a way to create a giant lens without all the bulk in the middle construct it in steps break the single curved surface into several several concentric sections consisting of different prisms or triangular pieces of glass that would refract the light each of these individual prisms would bend the light rays from their source into a parallel line added together the prisms would send this light out in a single beam. So basically, lots yep. of lots of little lenses make a big lens. Which, if you know what a Fresnel lens is, looks like, then it, I was it, about to yeah. say because I've seen one before, like that description made sense. But I feel like if I had heard that like a few years ago, I'd be like, "What? What?" <laughs> there were some pictures in this book that clearly were supposed to mean something to me. <laughs> It's just so technical, and and it, that, but yeah. that's what honestly that's why I appreciate it as much as I do because, especially when you see one in person, because I did get to see a first order Fresnel lens. Those things are huge. Those things are impressive. So it's like uh, the fact that someone could create it and um and like you just just get it so technically precise that it works so well. I. I, I don't know. I don't get it. And that was actually a huge issue. But I agree with you. Um, I read that and I was like, I know what this is supposed to look like. Like, I know what the finished product is. Yeah. So I, sure, I get it. <laughs> so, but he had, he had developed a prototype, which is where they start running into a lot of the issues of what you're talking about. Of like, they're huge and you have to have everything really precisely correct or it doesn't work. So he had choices of two types of glass. More things I learned. More than oh, one type yeah. of glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could use lead glass, which is more brilliant, but it's like heavy. Mm-hmm. Also has lead in it. They didn't know at the time yeah. that was a problem, but uh, it was a real thing. Like people thought that um, the Benjamin Franklin invented a musical instrument called the glass harmonica that had these like glass bowls that you would play kind of like how you like, um, like if you have a wet finger around yes. the rim of a glass yeah, yeah. and a bunch of people like went blind. Jeez. Yeah. And people thought it was cursed, which it's obviously not. Yeah what was going on i mean i don't know but uh, well yeah you never know no. <laughs> demons in your blood whatever um, but one of the theories is that it might have been leaded glass mm, yeah. and so people were getting lead poison jeez that's my that i i've also heard that's disproved i don't i don't know if we know why people were losing their minds while playing glass harmonicas maybe they were cursed but, I don't know. Le, yeah uh, <laughs> maybe the cursed people had it right <laughs> so uh lead glass because that wasn't good because it's heavy and the other was crown glass, which is much lighter and easier to work with, but has a tendency to get streaky. So he picked crown glass, 
And he started this like ridiculous back and forth with all these different glass makers. There weren't a lot of glass makers in France because there had been the king had had some sort of like exclusive something something with a glass company. But there was like two of them. And he kept rejecting their work. So he kept sending them dimensions and they would send it to him and he'd be like, no, this is unacceptable and send it back. So I'm sure it was super annoying for everyone involved. <laughs> So he turned to this guy named Francis uh, Solil, Solil, S-O-L-E-I-L, who is, was, made a bunch of scientific instruments for Fresnel. And so he figured out some way to like remelt down the glass and make it the right whatever. And apparently to this day, we have no idea what he did wow. to fix the problem. Yeah. So I, I guess it's sort of like concrete in... Uh, Roman times where we, we couldn't figure out how to make it and it was like mm-hmm. salt water instead of fresh water. Mm-hmm. It's, he probably did something that seems so obvious that nobody thought to like write it down. Yeah. We have no idea what they did. <laughs> oh my gosh. But he fixed it and he had a prototype. So he put it on public demonstration next to two reflector type lamps and there was just like no contest. Wow. Like with the reflector, when they did the reflector test, they were like, you know, taking all these really precise measurements of light intensity and they had a way of doing that. <laughs> um, it was a lot of math. <laughs> so I can tell you there's a lot of math involved. But uh, with the Fresnel lens, they were just like, yep, that's brighter. You, you can just see it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. And so, like, they were really excited about this. And so it's decided that he would make a lens and it would be placed in the lighthouse uh, Coroan? C-O-R-O-U-A-N. That, but French. Uh, because that was always considered, I guess, the most advanced and important lighthouse mm. in France. So I guess whenever there was new tech, that's where it would go first. So it was a huge success. Uh, he made the thing. It was a whole lot of struggle to make this this lens, but he did it. It was a huge success. And he gets a seat on the Academy in 1823. Heck yeah. So France says, we are, we, we've got this figured out. We are, we are going full bore with this. So they decided they were going to mark their entire coastline with Fresnel lenses. And Fresnel worked on improving the design and then developed the three orders, the first order, second order, and third order lenses. And it shows how confident he was in his math, correctly so, that he just was like, yep, this first order, that is as big as we're ever going to get. Wow. We're not going to get bigger. And people have tried to make it bigger, and it, it doesn't work. Yeah. that's so it. He, was, uh-huh. he was right. <laughs> And I bet, wow, that's cool. I I will never understand the math that goes into that, but I'm extremely impressed that he just can know that. Yeah. Yeah. So for people, people at home, first order lenses are the very big ones. Mm-hmm. Second order is like smaller and third order is like your cute little harbor lenses. <laughs> um, yeah. They're all pretty big. They are, but that's <laughs> the thing. Yeah, true. They're all pretty darn big. <laughs> so uh, for now also let's see, came up with the system for having fixed and flashing lights and having that like recorded so that sailors would know where they mm-hmm. were based on this is, this is one of those yeah. things that like is just standard. Now. Yeah. Like that's just the thing. Yeah. And apparently he came up with it. Oh my gosh. I don't know what these poor sailors were doing before. this. That's the thing. I bet. I mean, I can't imagine how many lives are saved just by this technology oh and these, these techniques. Yeah. So it wasn't easy to put these lamps in the towers. That were already mm. there. Glass purity remained a problem. And he actually, Fresnel went to England and saw steam engines and was 
really worried that the English were going to take his design and gain lighthouse supremacy. Uh-oh. Can't have that. <laughs> uh, because they had these steam engines. But the British were so behind in glass-making tech that they couldn't reproduce the lenses. So um, Britain actually bought from France nice. for their lighthouse. There was a guy um, named David Brewster who refused to accept wavelight theory and developed his own light that he said would be better. And so he developed a similar lens and uh, he, this, he, he just, it just was, it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous. And apparently he was also not a pleasant human being to be around because uh, the quote about him was fractious to the extent of something like insanity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> These people did not pull their punches. No. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I hate you. And here's a very clever way of saying yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> he thought that his rejection by the scientific establishment was because of Fresnel personally. Oh, not because his lens sucked <laughs> this lens sucks also like i'm just imagining for now being like who are you yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry what <laughs> so his lens was terrible and the british this is how bad because like the english and the french hate each other in spite of this they were like this brewster lens is not gonna do it <laughs> and they would buy from the french mm -hmm. instead of using his inferior lens at this point, Fresnel's health took a turn for the worse. And once his success became clear, um, he, he like got really into like near the end of his life, he was like frenetically writing papers. Like he was like trying to get it all out. Mm. Uh, he had tuberculosis probably. I mean, it wasn't written down, but he had tuberculosis. And he had been considered a, a sensitive, creative soul, which in those days meant in those days, they thought that made you more susceptible to the disease. Ah. That is not how that works. <laughs> but it's the Victorian era, so, you know, <laughs> demons in your blood. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so he kept working as long as he could, and in 1827, he dies at the age of 39. This is so sad. He died in his mother's arms. Oh, my gosh. At I 39? Know. I know. Yeah, I feel so bad. That's so young. Jeez. And here's the thing. So I'm reading this book and it's like page 93 and he dies. And I'm like, that's, that's a big book. <laughs> what, right. I'm like, so, so, so what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Cause the story's just getting started <laughs> with his death. Um, his brother took over. Oh no, this was so sweet. So I have a quote from him near the end of his life. He, his only regret was regarding the science that he hadn't been able to do. He said, uh, quote, I could have wished to live longer. Perhaps I might have had the happiness of finding the solution to some of these questions. These oh. questions being, I know, right? Yeah. He's, he just really loves science. Maybe if they didn't <laughs> put him in the bridges and roads for so long. Come on. I know. It's, like, let him do his science, yeah, guys. let him spread his wings. Ugh. I guess you got to pay the bills somehow. True, true. <laughs> bridges and roads it yeah. is. <laughs> So his younger brother took over, Leonore, Lenore, and he was like the opposite of Fresnel in that he was, um, Augustine was like, hated managing people, was really shy, but he was really good into like math. Leonore, 
I'm going to say his name differently every time. Oh, I love it. One of them oh. will be right. So I think that's a good yeah. way to do it. <laughs> eventually, you just keep throwing spaghetti at the wall. Eventually, I, something's going to hit. My secret is I'm never going to say his name. I'm just going to let you say it over and over again. <laughs> but uh, Leonard, Leonard, is <laughs> Fresnel the Younger. Yeah, there um, it is. <laughs> He was good at management and was gregarious and people liked him. And the and the math was done. Like, they didn't need any. I, I was just thinking, this is, he wrote it all out. Now it's like, take it and run with it. As long as you like, tr yeah, just trust your brother. Trust that he knew what he was doing and just run with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a whole lot of a whole lot of pages about all the various improvements that were made over time. But we're not going to talk about that because we're going to go to America. Hmm. Because the American, first of all, because I figured those are probably lighthouses, you know. And second of all, uh, the story is, the drama is not over. Ooh. It's, so American lighthouses sucked. Like, they sucked so much that sailors would purposely ignore them. <laughs> because it was, it was safer to just wing it. Wow. Than to try to see the light. Wow. Yeah. And so they sucked so much because of this guy named Stephen. Uh, I should be able to say this man's name. It is an English name. Stephen Pleasanton. And so Stephen Pleasanton was a thoughtful, sober man. Mm -hmm. The book said. <laughs> and he's actually has a he has one cool thing to his name. So I'm gonna. I just want to give the shout out to the cool thing he did before I completely eviscerate. Okay. Him. Okay. Uh, he is the reason we still have copies of the Declaration of Independence. And like the Constitution and journals from the first Congresses and stuff. So in 1814, Canada came down and burned the Capitol, mm -hmm. which I caused some drama on TikTok because I said accurately that they did that because we burned Toronto I, first. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, that's I didn't know that. I did not learn that in his in history class. I didn't I pay know. attention in history class, but I don't think no, I was like, taught that. Literally, if you're if you're from Canada, the War of 1812 is like your like national define like nas nationally defining war. Yeah. If you're in America, you're like, which one was that? Literally, I'm like, oh yeah, the one where the capital burned down. I'm yeah, like, yeah, that's, that, know that's what it. I know. <laughs> and uh, we super deserved it. Uh, so he's, he's <laughs> yeah. and actually, I think this <laughs> I feel like that's true for so many things that we were taught are like so bad that happened to us. Woe is us. And it's like, well, what was the US? And like, it's well, like, well mm. uh, so what I what I love is, is and this might be wrong, but I have this I, I've seen these documents many, many times, but I never looked at them that much because when you're working any moment that you I was doing I used to do student tours in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. So it's where you have like there is a in the spring, like thousands of eighth graders descend on Washington, D.C. <laughs> and uh, they bring in tour guides from all over the country because there's just so, so much work. And so I was one of those tour guides that they brought uh, down to D.C. for like a couple months. And so I've brought kids in to see these documents. Uh, but any moment I didn't have to be like presenting to 13 year olds, I was not. So I <laughs> didn't look at them that much. But I remember as a kid going to see them and noticing a handprint on one of them oh. and asking the ranger about it. And he said, oh, yeah, there was this, you know, w when the the burning of the Capitol happens, uh, the guy who who grabbed it to save it, like he just grabbed it. And when they went to restore it, like the oils on his hands came up a little bit. It's not like super heavy. Mm -hmm. It's just like very light. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, that was him. That's the guy. I've seen his hand. <laughs> Uh, without him, we wouldn't have had the National Treasure movie. I mean, right? I think 
that's you would found something else to steal <laughs> fair <laughs> you're probably right <laughs> wouldn't have been the same at least i have a love-hate relationship with that movie <laughs> as as a as a, a tour guide i i bet you do i feel like uh, and knowledgeable of history yeah i bet you i don't oh, know i don't care about oh, that it's, it's not like, that part well there I, mean, I ask what it is watch, you watch a movie like that and you're just assuming it's going to be nonsense as far as history is yeah. concerned like you're watching it for the movie. It's like watching Amadeus, which is one of my favorite, oh, a, favorite yeah. plays and has little to no like relationship to the truth. Mm-hmm. But it's a beautiful piece of theater. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say National Treasure is a beautiful piece of theater, <laughs> but it's an entertaining movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it gets people asking questions and interested in that stuff, which is nice. What I struggle with with it is I frequently had groups that would start in D.C. or New York and then go to the other city. And the easiest film to put in that was like school appropriate, no matter where in the country these kids were from, and vaguely related that the kids would actually want to watch was always National Treasure. <laughs> like I would give them like two or three options and they always picked National Treasure. Uh, yeah. So there was a moment where I literally had the entire movie memorized. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. And it was a movie that I felt sort of like, oh, this is vaguely entertaining. Yeah. And you're so. like, oh, like you, I mean, I would think me being naive, my current naive self, I'd be like, I don't know if I could get sick of that movie. You know, I, I you get sick of anything. I bet. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what an entertaining movie is always a fun watch. I've only watched it a handful of times, I bet. But yeah, I bet after the hundredth time, you're like, you know, I don't need, I don't need my, any more of this. My favorite part is when Nicolas Cage jumps off Independence Hall and then runs towards the <laughs> Delaware River, and ends up at Reading Terminal Market, which is in the exact opposite direction from where he runs. My favorite. Every, I love it. Every time I'm like, I love this movie magic. <laughs> movie magic. That's that whole thing. Yes, I love that. So. So uh, he did that one thing. This Pleasanton guy did that one thing. It was cool. Anyway, moving on. Everything else he did in his life sucked. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> he was an audit- <laughs> he was an auditor for the State Department, and lighthouses weren't technically under his purview, but he managed some of the customs collectors' books. Like he was like an accountant, basically. And those the customs collectors were in charge of the lighthouses in their district. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really like a lighthouse group like there was in France. Yeah. And he was obsessed with saving money. So everything became how do we use less oil? How do we, but still keep the lights lit? And he had no engineering or naval experience. So he had no idea what he was talking about. In the US, we mostly use sperm oil because we had easy access to it, which I see Moby Dick. That's the Mm -hmm. entire, the entire book, Uh, except (laughs) it does not go well. Uh, But there's that wild chapter where it tells you how you extract the sperm turmoil from the whale uh i've i've not read it but i've heard i have heard of these chapters anything. yeah that's what i heard i was like everyone i've talked to who's read it is like don't even bother <laughs> at least skip those chapters least- there's a whole chapter about like the taxonomy of whales like it's just <laughs> <laughs> i was that nerd who actually read the summer reading mm. in school which is why i have read moby dick wow um, you had to read I would- oh, we did not have to read moby dick thankfully <laughs> We had to read Don Quixote. Really? I never did. That's one I actually would like to read and I still haven't. It was good. It was good. It was long, but it was good. Um, My problem with it was I had spent the summer in Germany where I had not been reading 
Don mm. Quixote. So by the end of the summer, I had to read 100 pages a day. Bust that out. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. Which in retrospect, now I would just tell myself, like, just it's fine. Just look at the cliff notes. Yeah. Like you read enough of the book that you've got the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's okay. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your summer. You probably did more than 90% of the other students. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good book, though. Um, So, sperm oil is what the U.S. used mostly. And that also works really well because it's cheap for a while. But then in the 1830s, the cost of sperm oil began to rise. And Pleasanton was like freaking out because how do we use less oil? In comes Winslow Lewis who is an ex-sea captain, and he created his own patented lamp that he claimed would illuminate lighthouses using half the oil. The lamp was actually a copy of a different type of lamp that had already been in use for like 50 years in Europe. Mm. And it was like a worse version of that. (laughs) But Pleasanton doesn't know. So he just basically, Lewis already had a contract with, with the United States government, and so Pleasanton just kept renewing the contract until Lewis became the exclusive supplier of lamps to lighthouses in the United States. So every lighthouse in the U S had his lamp, which is bad because they were terrible. Oh, here it is. I I did write down the name of the lamp. The lamp that he copied was the Argon's lamp Mm -hmm. used in Europe from the 1780s. And it, it just was terrible. And then on top of that in Europe, they were using these parabolic parabolic reflectors, but Lewis didn't bother to do the math. So he just like stuck a bowl behind it. <laughs> oh. And uh, it works worse <laughs> when you don't do the math. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> so he stole the design, did it badly. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like if you ordered a parabolic reflector on wish.com. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> it was in and every the, single And the US government's probably paying a premium for these things. Just like he has a monopoly. Yeah. I mean So uh, complaints about U.S. lighthouses pour in. And so Pleasanton looks into getting a Fresnel lens, but is just like completely blown away by the price. A first order lens at that time cost $5,000, which the whole like changing money to different time frames is like a sketchy practice Mm -hmm. at best. And this was such a good example of why, because the direct like dollar to dollar comparison for this is $5,000 then is now $165,000 today. And the U.S. government today drops $165,000 on any number of things without a second thought. Yes, yeah. But the the government at the time, like we, our government had much lower budgets. Yeah. A lot more was being put to the states. And it just, that was just a wild amount of money. Yeah, especially for a single lens when you have a very long coastline. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you're a, a penny pincher yes. and don't know anything about anything yeah. except stealing the Declaration of Independence <laughs> and saving money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so in come these two guys, Edmund and George Blunt. And they published a yearly publication called the American Coast Pilot that would have detailed descriptions of how to get in and out of harbors. And they did not hold back. Wow. Like, they were like, U.S. lighthouses... This is how we know that uh, sailors were not looking at the lighthouses okay, yeah. because they wrote in there, like, don't bother. Just yeah. don't do it. Wow. And the blunts actually translated. See, these guys, I like these guys because they were like, here's a problem and we're not just going to complain about it. We're going to we're going to give you a solution. So they actually took the time to translate the paperwork from the Fresnel factory in France to send to Congress. Wow. 
to be like, hey, <laughs> there's this tech. Here's how it works. It's better, please. Please do this. And the Navy weighed in and they agreed. They were like, yep, this is this is how it should be. Because also, the Navy, they're like going around the world. They've probably seen them. And so Congress, to their credit, said, yeah, okay, let's let's try this. So they went over Pleasanton's head and ordered a first door order for no lens to test against current lamps. And Pleasanton is big mad. So at first he refused payment for the lens. Oh my gosh. Even though Congress had already appropriated the money for it, which left uh, poor Leonor, Leo, 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 left Leo high and dry and angry. (laughs) At one point he actually claimed that he would never sell another lens to the United States. That obviously didn't happen, but like that's how bad the relationship got. Um, So he didn't pay for it. And then, there was this guy named Perry who went to France to go collect the lens. Like it was his job to go and like deal with all the logistics. And he he wrote regarding Pleasanton. The truth is the old egotist has pronounced his America lighthouse system as the best in the world and was excessively annoyed at the exposure of its utter worthlessness. <laughs> oh my gosh. People were like, as I said, there was so much drama. Like people went for it. Wow, putting them on blast. But hey, I mean, it's getting things done. It sounds like so it's working. Yeah. So eventually, somehow, the payment goes in, and the uh, Fresnel factory sends this guy Louis Bernard to install it because they don't trust the Americans to know what the fuck mm-hmm. they're doing, which is wise. <laughs> Bernard, however, <laughs> does not speak English. Ah. And that first lens was supposed to go in at Sandy Hook. So logically, he went to New York City, you know, where the lens was going to be installed. Because Sandy Hook is this like little like scoots off the coastline, like mm-hmm. right in front of the Manhattan Harbor. Manhattan is the harbor for New York City. Um, and, <laughs> and apparently he was supposed to go to Washington, D.C. And he was like, I don't speak English. I don't know how to get anywhere. Why would I go to D.C.? The lighthouse is here. What is happening? And Pleasanton just goes, oh, sorry, dude. It's too late in the year to install. And thankfully, Bernard was like, fuck you. (laughs) And fuck your bullshit. I'm installing this lighthouse. I'm going home. (laughs) So he does it. But unfortunately, the lighthouse turned out to be unsuitable for the lamps. This happened a ton. Where they ordered these lamps and the lighthouse was like the wrong size or whatever. And... I listen, I am one of these people who will order an Ikea like shelf and not measure the space. It's, it makes my wife crazy. <laughs> yeah, I will no. show up and be like, I think this will fit. And yeah. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, I don't know. We'll find out. But like for something like this, I feel like somebody should have like broken out the measuring tape. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this one's a little bit more important and a little bit more expensive than <laughs> Ikea furniture. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. Cause right. I, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't think about if it's going to fit in my car. Like if I'm driving to Ikea and I'm like, I'm just, I've had that where I bought this chair and then I was like, you know, will this fit? It barely did only in the front seat. So, but anyway, yeah, this is a little yeah. different. You'd think. Like this, this seems worth like doing some measurements. At least, at least a couple, you know. Some math. Yeah. Oh. What well. I think some of them it was like they couldn't hold the weight. Oh gosh, yeah. It sounds all dangerous. My gosh. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so Bernard 
is hates hates everything i'm sure by this point uh so he's like okay fuck this lighthouse i'm gonna find a different lighthouse and bernard just straight up is like picks a different lighthouse because he's like we're not <laughs> i am so over this i want to go back i to love this guy i feel so <laughs> bad for him but and so he goes to this lighthouse in the Na- navsink highlands which is apparently also visible from new york harbor okay. i have no idea where it is but it's over there somewhere and you know put it in and Pleasanton, he's still trying to, like, make this not happen. So he's like, oh, okay, like, the lens, like, it might be better, but you have to hire all these skilled engineers to run them. And in France, the lighthouses were manned by, like, retired mariners. <laughs> like, not skilled engineers. Like, he was just, I don't know why he cared so much. I'm going to be honest. So he, but it didn't, so it was better. Like, everyone was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And it didn't matter because Pleasanton was still in charge of the Mm. lighthouses and he wasn't going to budge. So it got to the point where insurance underwriters started complaining to Congress. Wow. Because so many ships were going, going like aground and they were losing money. And so there's just all this, like, we got to have somebody who like is an impartial observer who's going to evaluate the lighthouses which is ridiculous this has happened like 14 times but like whatever we have to do it again mm-hmm. and in comes the person who would think would not be an impartial observer his name was isaiah william penn lewis which is a great name mm-hmm. um he went by iwp which is even better <laughs> nice and he was winslow lewis's nephew so this is the guy who made the crappy lens mm. however he uh was not swayed by familial ties and his report to Congress in 1842 regarding the lighthouses was not subtle. He said the U.S. lighthouses stood as, this is so good, U.S. lighthouses stood as 236 witnesses to the rule of ignorant and incompetent men. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a line. That's a good line. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe the number of zingers in a story about <laughs> a light. <laughs> for all, for all these like house. nerds you know like all the silent math nerds science nerds just like the best insults yeah i just i don't know i i think of lighthouses being sort of like bird watching mm. like a very like sort of chill activity and these people are like no we're coming <laughs> for you um, so there's this huge back and forth between ipw and pleasanton and in the end congress has to like approve new lighthouses to be built to do that that aren't under Pleasanton's control. Wow. So like they just arranged for all these new lighthouses to be, I think it was under naval control. Yeah, under the Navy. And the Navy was like, great, for now lenses, let's do it. And it was still like a complete mess. They ordered two more lenses and one of them got misdelivered and lost in like a random warehouse. And they never paid for it because it wasn't ever received. That was the time when Fresnel's factory was like we're done yeah uh, well kind of understandably like my gosh <laughs> especially because it was like i think a second order lens it was i mean they're all expensive yeah so finally 1851 a lighthouse board is made in the united states Oof. this is the thing napoleon did in 1811 wow 40 years yep. later <laughs> so commodore william bradford schubrick was the representative from the navy and he pushed really hard to just be like with this new lighthouse plan he's like Let's just keep making new lighthouses, and that way it'll be under the Navy's jurisdiction instead of Pleasanton. And so his lighthouses can be out there sucking. We'll have other lighthouses that Mm -hmm. don't suck. 
And they figured out how to get lighthouses built all along the West Coast and through the American South. Well, Because the East Coast had lighthouses. They just were bad. Mm -hmm. But the South had very few. And that was also a really dangerous area. Like around the Florida Keys, they, they didn't even have lighthouses. They would have these boats just like hanging out in the water with lights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which I don't feel like would work very well because boats move. Yeah. So, so I'm not sure what's being communicated yeah. um, with that. <laughs> But that's what they were doing. And of course, the American West um, had just like California had just been part of like white colonization and so forth. So there were not lighthouses out there yet. And so they were going to do that. And so he succeeded. Like it sounds like it, it after all this, he just said, let's do it. And they did it. Uh, he passes the baton to Raphael Semes, who's from Mobile, Alabama in 1858. And I only mention this because he like he finished putting in the all these lenses in, especially in the American South. And then the American Civil War broke out. And this guy literally just turns around and starts being a blockade runner because he knows where all the lighthouses wow, are. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he was a Southerner, so he joined the Confederacy. So the war broke out and all these brand new, this is so sad, all these brand new Fresnel lenses are all like destroyed. Oh my gosh. Because the Southern like the Southern government was like okay, we kind of know what the coastline is because we didn't have lighthouses for so long. Mm -hmm. The northerners have no fucking clue. Yeah. Like, let's just get rid of the lenses. And so uh, wow. they did that. And there were different different things happened with them. Some of them were just wrecked. Um, many of them were taken down. And the people would try to be careful, but they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. I, I, and I imagine those are yeah. hard to fix, especially like when you had them shipped from France. Like, Oh my God. I didn't even want to think about how much money the government had to pay after the war yeah. to replace all these lenses. Yeah. And like some of them were like, ended up in weird places. Um, a lot of them ended up in like warehouses. Like they found a warehouse in the South that was just filled with these Fresnel lenses. But some of them ended up like in bogs. Like it was what? just, <laughs> nobody knew what they were doing. It was very chaotic. And so this whole like lighthouses became a key part of the Confederacy's policy because they knew the Northern sailors just didn't know the area. And the North was trying to blockade the South. Like that was the whole mm -hmm. strategy of the North was like, we have more stuff than the South. So if the South can't import things from Europe, they're just going to starve. Mm -hmm. And in the end, that's what, that's what yeah. happened. Like that's what won the war was we had more stuff yeah. up here. And this continues on. Lighthouses become important military targets during World War II. Like during World War II, like people are going around breaking Fresnel lenses and so forth. But at this point, radar is developed. And that that's kind of the end of the sort of day-to-day -day necessity of lighthouses for a lot yeah. of shipping. And uh, now they're just for fun. <laughs> go and say, hey, look at that really cool lens. Yeah. <laughs> And they are pretty. So that's the thing is they're so so impressive. I mean, they are mind blowing. It's it's. I don't know the exact dimensions, but when I first saw, I knew how that they were big. And then I first saw one in person. I was like, okay, that's that's bigger than big. That's like huge. And to think that it was just chilling up there in a lighthouse somehow. And it makes sense when you say that some lighthouses weren't made for them because yeah, they're so impressive. Yeah, there was all this like Pleasanton was doing. I didn't even put everything he did to try to prevent these lenses from going in. He like purposely built lighthouses that weren't big enough. Like it was just that man. 
for for a guy who wants to save so much money, it sounds like he spends a lot of money. <laughs> to, like, it's I, I think it was pride. It sounds point. like it. Yeah, yeah. Like he was like, no, I've been doing great. <laughs> Come on, guys! If we just keep saying it, it'll yeah. be true. <laughs> We're the best in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, but these lenses are massive, and I have to admit, like, I never really, I, I've seen one. And I didn't know what I was looking at at the time. But I remember seeing it being like, oh, that's really big and impressive. And it didn't occur to me that that stuff was like handmade. Yeah. Yeah. Like for a while, like every glass manufacturer in France was making these yeah. for wow. mostly the U.S. because we needed so many at <laughs> once. And eventually they were able to use steam power to make them faster and more accurately. Uh, Fresnel was right about that. And now you can like make them out of plastic and stuff. And they're used for all kinds of stuff. They're used as lenses for photography. Oh. Which I only know because I said idly to my wife, yeah, I'm going to do Fresnel lenses. She goes, oh, I love Fresnel lenses. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? I didn't know. And so she's a photographer. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, I had no idea that they had other uses. I mean. Yeah, and they're used in theater. So, you know, in um, when you look at, like, a traditional theater, they have those lights that have, like, the little, like, flaps yeah. Yeah, on yeah. them. This is, I'm not doing a very good job of this. I, I, um, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense to me, I think. Yeah. <laughs> they have those little flaps. Those are Fresnel. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is the same technology, yeah. this idea of having prisms going to make, like, one, like, a spotlight. What? Okay. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it's fun lighthouse funsies, but, like, it's it still has a lot of uses. Any Anytime you want to have some light be bright and in an exact place, <laughs> Fresnel's got you covered. Fresnel figured that out. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it was just this whole story was so much more wild yeah. than I thought it was going to be. Me, me too. And so I'm very glad I didn't come in with any knowledge because – um like, like you like you mentioned about lighthouses i mean it's it's just like now it's just like a fun hobby and now they don't i mean they they some of them are somewhat used now but they're definitely not with gps you you don't need them um and so yeah they're just this kind of fun thing and like a a thing i i don't know have appreciated just mainly for like its beauty and stuff but then yeah you you learn more about the history and you're like oh shit these were really important and there's a lot of scientific you know scientific breakthroughs that happened because of them yeah yeah and like military um strategy mm. which yeah. i had never even crossed my mind yeah no me neither and there was like a whole chapter that was all about all these like wacky things there was this whole thing where like some of the lighthouse keepers in the south were actually loyal to the union mm -hmm. And just because they were physically far away, they were able to get away with keeping their lights lit for a long time. Oh. Um, one lady, it's great. She like put like some sort of like, I don't know if it was a cloth. She somehow blocked the light so that you couldn't see it from shore. Yeah. You could see it out at sea. Wow. So that the like Confederate authorities at shore thought she had turned it off. Amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, she was eventually caught, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it's just... I, it just it never occurred to me that this was they were such a big deal. Like I knew they were a big deal vis-a-vis -vis people not dying. Yes. Yeah. And like I'd read about like some like for, like in terms of uh, like you mentioned the insurance adjusters, everything, the all the cargo, everything that they that has been had been lost over the years because of um, a lack of light. Um, so like a lot of money and like uh, has been <laughs> lost to the bottom of the sea along with all those lives. 
And so that's that's mostly what I had read about and mostly what I heard about because that's what you think of when you think of their purpose. Um, right. But yeah, to think that, you know, there are so many moving parts, uh, I guess, literally and figuratively that went into these lighthouses that, um, yeah, make for My a very favorite interesting moving history. Part yeah. That I didn't know how I was going to include. So I didn't. So I figured I would just <laughs> say it at the end. Is they, it was actually apparently a whole thing figuring out how to get them to spin. Mm, okay. And that was a whole section that was like, I'm not even. Yeah. This. But one of the solutions they came up with was to put the lens in a giant bath of mercury. Oh, man. <laughs> and apparently there is a, this is one of those things that the book was like, I'm the stereotype about lighthouse keepers. I'm like, I've never heard this stereotype, but sure. Um, apparently there's a stereotype about lighthouse te- uh, keepers being like very mentally yes, ill. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I guess if you're hanging out next to a giant vat of mercury. Yeah, yeah. No, that is. That, that would do that. <laughs> that is definitely because I think a lot of, you know, the theories were uh, surrounded like, oh, isolation, you know, because I'm sure it didn't help. so many of people. Yeah. So many people, especially on some remote islands would just that's 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 their life is all they had was uh, generous. Sometimes they'd have um, some um, some farm animals for uh for food and then that's about it that's the only company that they'd have and then yeah i i assume the mercury didn't help uh good thing the lead glass didn't uh catch on that that would have been another well it should have been okay as long as they weren't like eating it (laughs) true true okay yeah yeah like once i think once i could be totally wrong i think (laughs) once it's made in glass form it's fine i you know i i i I'll say I trust you on that, but I'm going to not play with it even (laughs) if I have the opportunity. (laughs) I end up covering a lot of Philly on the show because it's what I know. That's what's fun about having people here uh, like you to kind of force me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Uh, So thank you. No, thank you. For coming on. Yeah. Um, This was super fun. Uh, And I'm going to do my little outro here. So uh, thank you so much for listening to Delicious of History. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. A huge thank you to April Keys for the use of the song Misfit from her album Mountain View. You can find her on all the various social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes TikTok at Delicious of History, no hyphens. I'm not on any of the threads or anything yet because I just have anxiety about which one it's going to be the thing. So I'm just staying out out of it. (laughs) We're on TikTok. Um, at least until it gets banned a big shout out to the folks supporting us on patreon if you want to support us and get access to all sorts of exclusive content become a patron of this program uh like michelle all of this and more can be found on our website deliciousofhistory.com again no hyphens just stick it together hi it's future editing vega i'm just closing this up i apologize if you can hear weird stuff in the background someone's having a very noisy party Uh, i hope they're having a good time so this is actually the final episode of season two of delisters of history so i hope you enjoyed it we'll be taking a break for the high holidays and coming back in october so our episodes come out the first and third Mondays of each month. So the next episode, the first episode of season three, will be coming out October 2nd. And now, an episode relevant audio drop. Since ancient times, lighthouses have kept mariners safe using some of the most cutting edge technology available. Granted, I'm not going to claim that a red and white stripy paint job is cutting edge technology, but it's arguably just as important as things like the Fresnel lens, which is frequently referenced as the invention that saved a million ships. 